0: pretty much every year, we take the first few weeks of the year to kind of remind us of who we are as a church, to kind of talk about our vision and kind of break down kind of the different elements of what makes Redeeming Hope our family of faith and what makes us unique, special, and like why we exist. And also we want to focus on what our like kind of vision is for this upcoming year. So we're taking three weeks to explore our vision in a series called In Focus. And what we want to do is properly align ourselves together to bring Christ and the hope that he offers to the forefront of our vision here as we begin 2021. And so to get today, we're beginning with this first section of our vision statement, talking about how we are a family of faith. And actually, this idea of a family of faith is, is pretty in-depth, and it comes from a very special passage in which Jesus is with many people teaching and uh, so many people were around Jesus that the house that he was in was packed to the brim nobody could go in and out and then we come to this scene as we begin our time looking at this in Matthew chapter 12 it says this while he Jesus was still speaking to the people behold his mother and his brothers they stood outside so they're outside of this house Jesus is inside preaching right and they asked to speak to him but he replied to the man who told him this is what he says he says who is my mother And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so as we begin to look at a family of faith, we want to first look at the words of Jesus and how he sees those who follow him. Now, um, for those of us, for those of you who are joining here, um, all of us have, most of us, I'd say probably most of us, have had some sort of tangential experience with a church. Maybe it might just have been walking in to go to a wedding or a funeral, or it might have been something that was um, part of your growing up or something that you're still deeply involved with now. But I, I think that there's three different categories of people that might be watching this. One, um, you might have had really positive experiences with a church. Two, you, you might have had negative experiences with a church or three, um, you might have had zero experiences at a church. So um, I personally, I grew up in a church context and, and when I thought about church, this is this is what I thought, right? So um, my mom and dad came to know Jesus at Riverdale Baptist, Church in Largo, Maryland. They had 300 acres of property. It was a kid's dream to run around and play here. But my mom and dad came to know Jesus in the 1970s here in this very room. Um, I was baptized in that same baptismal on the right-hand part of the picture that my mom and dad were, right above the choir loft. When I was seven, I felt a call in the ministry sitting in those very pews that you're looking at in the picture. And actually, my seminary outside of D.C., um, they used Riverdale Baptist Church to host my graduation. And, you know, I have some really good memories growing up there. Now, um, when I thought about church growing up, I thought about going to a building. I thought about meetings. I thought about sermons. I thought about choirs singing and choir lofts and running around and playing hide and go seek with my friends in a big sanctuary. But, and some hear the word church, and they have positive recollections. But unfortunately, and I say some, and I dare say many of us have some negative experiences when we hear the word church. Some of us might have the experience of social pressure, like you must wholeheartedly, blindly believe everything that comes out of the pastor's mouth or you're a heretic. Some of us might have experienced some financial pressure where all the church seemed to talk about and all the church seemed to care about was money. Some of us have experienced abuse or deep hurt coming out of a church, and that's why we've actually seen the Church Too movement arise um, to deal with unaddressed abuse and even maybe pastoral leadership abuses as well. Many of us who've had negative experiences with church have seen drama, infighting, politics, or maybe you might have even been damaged by the lack of authenticity at a church where you just kind of felt like everybody had a mask on and they were fake. And my friends, maybe this has soured you from the community and the family of church. And maybe that makes it hard for you to come back in. And I just want to stop right here and let you know, that is completely understandable. I've been working in a church context for about a decade. I understand that it can hurt you and wound you. And I want you guys to know that wherever you are at today with that is totally okay. And actually, if you want counseling, if you want help with that, if you want to talk to someone about that, I'm available. But our church also offers to pay for counseling for you. We'll pay for your first session to go to a counselor. And I want you to know that wherever you are in the world, wherever you're tuning in, if you would like counseling, I want you to reach out to our church and we would love to pay for a first session of counseling for you. Because I know that there's a lot of hurt and pain that have come from abuses of spiritual leadership. And if that is, like, hesitating, it causes you to, like, lean back a little bit from jumping into a church, I want you to know that that we're here for you. And I want our church to be a church that's patient with you as you work through these things. Now, um, I think that that's probably the majority of the people that have had any experiences with church. But I think some of us that are tuning in and some of us that are even helped me record that this sermon here today have had little or no experiences with church at all outside of our church family, Redeeming Hope. And maybe you just had went, there's a wedding or a funeral. So when I talk about going to church, it might be saying, let's go play bingo, right? It just doesn't have a lot of relevance to you. But I want to challenge us today with a question. What if a church isn't a building? What if it isn't a meeting or a place for politics or hurt? But what if God tells us that the church is a living, breathing family that you can come to for healing, for growth, and for true community? And that's what leads us to our main point for today. See, our church is not first an organization, a corporation, or an institution. We are first and foremost a family. And when we live and operate like a family, everyone involved thrives and grows into looking more like Jesus together. So we're going to talk about three points today. We're going to see first that the church is a family. Second, we're going to see how the church is a family that's centered on Jesus. And finally, we're going to see that a church is a family that is global So let's begin by looking at the church as a family. And when we look at the Bible, we see many different metaphors for what a church is. So a bride to her groom, a body of individual parts, like a body that has eyes and, and ears and a nose and hands. We also see it as being referred to as a living home or a temple, right? Now, all these imagery and these visual metaphors are powerful and very important, but there is another one that is used a few different times in the Bible that really resonates with Rachel and I, and that's seeing the church As a family. And so in the New Testament, we actually see that we are collectively members of God's household together because we are adopted into God's family. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 17. It says these words And Jesus came and preached, Peace to you who are far off, and peace to you who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father, right? So Jesus, through Jesus, we get back to our father again. Then listen to these words. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household. Of God. So we see that for those who have been reunited with our Father because of our belief in Jesus, right? What that that we actually come back to Him and the Holy Spirit helps us with that. And then we are members of God's household and we are brought in to God's household by the work of Jesus. We see the church as a family. But not only that, but we see the church that is a family that is centered on Jesus. It's very important that that is um, how we perceive this family. It's not a family that's that's scattered. It's, It's a family that's centered on Jesus. And Jesus's view of his own followers was that of a family. And let's go back to what we read earlier, Matthew chapter 12. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, Jesus's mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So what we see that Jesus says here is he says that those who are part of the family are those who do God's will, right? He says, "Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother." So, so we got to understand what does it mean for us to to do the Father's will because that will help us see are we in the family of God. Well, actually Um, in the book of John, he gives us a very clear indication of what it's like to do the work of God or to be in God's will. Look with me at John chapter 6. They said to him, what must we do? People came to Jesus and asked Jesus a question. They said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Works, plural. And then Jesus answered them, this is the work, singular, the work of God is this, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So to be doing the work of God, to be in the will of God, is to believe in Jesus. Jesus is referring to himself in the third person here. Jesus is the one sent by God. So when you believe in Jesus, you do God's will and you're part of the family. And then we see that we are adopted into God's household by the work of Jesus, and we have actually a shared family inheritance with Christ. We actually get to play a part in what God's doing in the world now, and then we have a promise of a future inheritance, a future glory with God as well. Look with me at Galatians chapter 4. This is what it says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Remember, sonship we are now adopted into God's family. This is a family context to this. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you see how now because we're sons, we have sonship or daughtership with God. He then sends the Holy Spirit to us so that we can call God dad. And then we see at the very last sentence, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then finally, listen to this, then an heir through God. So we now have an inheritance. We have promises of God. Actually, what we see is that everything that is true of Jesus is now true of the follower of Jesus as well. Just as God spoke out of heaven and said to Jesus after he was baptized, you are my, son with whom, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We see that those who, all of those who follow Jesus, we are adopted as sons and daughters. We are loved by God and he is pleased with us. And really, all of this centers our our it being in the family of God centers around what we do with Jesus. Going back to that, do we believe in him whom he has sent? And what we do with Jesus determines whether we are in the family of God or not. And then finally, we come to our last point, which is where we'll spend the rest of our time, is that the church is a family that is both global and local. So first, I want to talk about how the church is a global family. We look at Ephesians 1. This is what it says, And God the Father put all things under Jesus's feet and gave Jesus' as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What we see is that Jesus is Lord and King over a new people, over a new universal and global church that expands over millennia. So if you choose to follow Jesus... You become part of the, what we like to call the capital C church or the big C church. This idea that 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 you join in the same church, the same movement that Jesus inaugurated, that Paul helped start, that Peter and James and John helped start, that you are actually members of that same corporate body, corporate entity called the church, which is global and universal. And you can go anywhere, you can do anything and still be a part of a global church. And so that's why we see that Jesus is the head of his church, global. But we don't just see church as global. We also see church as a local family. And so I just threw up a few passages up here just to help us see that the church is referred to as global, but it's also referred to on a local or even a micro level. Look with me. We see the church in Jerusalem, There's a church in Antioch. Paul writes the... The letter of Second Corinthians to the church of God that is at Corinth, and finally we see that churches even meet in homes. Give my greetings to Nympha and the church in her house. So what we see as we look at the the, the early New Testament is that churches would meet in homes. They would meet in local gathering spaces. They would actually meet in Jewish temples because that was one of the largest covered buildings that you could meet in. And even um, very wealthy people who chose to follow Jesus, you would meet in their courtyards right? So there's churches is not dependent on a location. Rather, church was a people. And there was individual churches that Paul wrote to. And in fact, most of the New Testament is built by letters of Paul writing to different local churches, addressing different local church family needs. And they were being started all the time. Every city that the apostle Paul went to he would see people choose to follow Jesus, to believe in Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah, to obey by making Jesus Lord and King over their life. And then what would happen is a church would form, a church would begin to form, and then Paul would rewrite them letters and actually send other people to help form and shape this family to grow it into something beautiful. And so you could never, so, 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 so you cannot meaningfully, and this is, I want, to, I want you to hear me say this, um, if you are not a part of a local church... You cannot meaningfully belong to the capital C church, the big church, the universal church, without belonging to a local church. So let me say that again. You cannot meaningfully belong to the church without belonging to. church. And one of the reasons why we believe this is because there are very clear commandments in the Bible about what he is calling Christians to do as part of being in community and being in a community of faith. And so I have heard a lot of people say, you know what, I'm just doing my own thing, or I'm just, you know what, this church or this organized religion just isn't for me, and that there, you can just look through a litany of scriptures, but I'm just going to address three for you. And the first one is, is that the Bible tells us in in Hebrews 10 that we're we're actually called to stir one another up to love and good deeds. So we're actually supposed to build relationships with one another and to help one another, to encourage one another, to kind of coach one another on towards loving and serving one another. Now, how in the world can you do that if you're not connected in community with other people that believe like what you believe? You just can't do that. You can't stir one another up to love and good deeds unless you're in a local family of faith. Next we see is that we're called to bear one another's burdens. This is Galatians 6. This is saying, look, like we're called to, life is tough. Life is difficult. We need to be known and loved and valued in community so that when tough times do hit, we actually have a family that can come around us and help bear our burdens with us. I've had a friend just this week had someone, his girlfriend, one of his girlfriend's um, grandparents die. And so we talked on the phone as they are driving down to this funeral. And I got a chance to pray for them. Now, if if that person isn't in our church, if that person isn't in our church family, if that person isn't in consistent relationship with us, then I would have never have known that that happened. If we wouldn't have been talking on the phone, I would never have, have even known to, to pray for them. So you see, bearing one another's burdens requires us to be an intimate community where we know one another. And just finally, just one of the many things is that another command that we're called to do is that we're called to serve those who need help the most. And actually in 1 Timothy 5, um, Paul is writing to his friend Timothy and he says, do not forget the widows in need who are among you. And so in order for us to be able to serve one another, we actually have to know what's going on. Like we have to be in proximity in order to know if someone needs a meal, if someone needs groceries delivered, if they contract COVID-19 and they need some help. Like we need to be in proximity with one another so that we can serve one another, especially those who might be in need. So I was thinking about like what a best way to put, what does it mean to truly be a part of a family? And you know, a couple of weeks ago, Rachel um, finished a two-year nurse practitioner degree. And so we had this wonderful celebration. Um, We had to do it in our house because of the the coronavirus. But um, Rachel's parents had quarantined, Rachel and I quarantined, and they came down to join us and stay with us for a week. It was pretty amazing. And I love my in-laws. They love Jesus. Um, they they really love Rachel and I. They support us. They bless us when they come. But I was actually thinking about, like, what is it? How does a healthy family operate? Because I think some of us watching this might have grown up with a healthy family, but some of us might not have. And so when I think about the church as a family, how does a healthy family operate? Well, one of the things that we do, um, and we we eat together. We actually eat pretty amazing meals. Uh, I'm not saying I'm the I'm a great cook, but I think I'm am an okay cook. And my mother-in-law like to work together, and we cook quite a bit. So on the day of Rachel's graduation, um, we made steak and. We made shrimp and we made all these amazing sides and we just had this like wonderful huge feast that we just loaded up. And And working together, eating together is, I think, something that healthy families do. Also, celebrating together, again, that, that her parents made a special trip down to Tennessee to visit Rachel as she was graduating with her nurse practitioner degree. We celebrate together. But we don't just celebrate together. We also grieve together. When Rachel's grandfather passed away, we drove up and shared tears with the family. Um, This was about a year and a half ago. And like we grieved his passing and celebrated his life together. Another thing that we do is we serve one another. Like when dishes are in the sink, we just do them. Like it's not like we have to make an assignment and create a schedule. Like when we go up and visit them, when they come visit us, we just kind of serve and just kind of do things, clean up around the house together. Another thing we do is we defer to one another. And I thought about this. So Rachel and I, um, every morning, we typically make a French press. So the night before, I coarse grind the coffee. I put it in a sealed container. I kind of let it breathe a little bit. And then the next morning, I I put in the French press. And it's just enough for Rachel and I. It's 32 ounces. So we each get like a good good cup and a half worth. And it works out for us. But of course, when Rachel's family are here, we got to make more. And um, there's something about my father-in-law. He's been doing this for 30 years. He preps the coffee the night before. That's how he loves the family. So that when you wake up in the morning, you wake up to the smell of coffee and you wake up to Chase, my father-in-law has already prepared it for us. And so one of the ways that Rachel and I try to just in a very small micro way is we just kind of defer to my in-laws' preferences when they come. So if there's something they like to eat, we try to buy more of that. Um, We try to make the coffee the night before in the auto drip machine so that it's ready to go when Chase wakes up in the morning. Another thing that we do is we create and we recreate together. So, like, we did little projects uh, around the house. And then we also, like, went, I actually had never been to Dunbar Cave State Park. And so we went to Dunbar Cave and, and hiked for a little bit together. So, we were creating things together, we were recreating together. And finally, we communicate often. We're on a group family text thread. And so we communicate and talk like we are in each other's lives. We know what's going on. And when there's a problem, when there's an issue, we pray for one another. When there's something to celebrate, we text it out. And so we just just have consistent communication. And my friends, you cannot be a family without relational proximity to one another. And if the family is the metaphor that we hold to for the church, then we cannot be Lone Ranger Christians. We have to be known. We have to be cared for. We have to be loved and prayed for within a community, within a family of faith. Now, I I know I say this, right? And then how ironic is it that we are all watching this on a computer screen right now? Um, because of COVID-19, we are not having an in-person Sunday morning gathering. But you know what's great about this is the philosophy of our church has never been centered on an in-person Sunday morning gathering. Our philosophy has always been centered around gathering together in groups. And so the groups are the heartbeat of our church. They're actually how we live out this family of faith. And so I'm actually really excited to share with you that at the end of this month, we're launching four new discipleship groups. We're going to have one on almost every single night of the week with leaders who've been in our church, who've got our culture, who've been trained, who've been prepped, and they're going to be taking on groups so that we can have more people because we're actually growing and we've got more people in groups than we have group space. So we're multiplying out four different times at the end of this month. And so if you'd like to be in a group, I'd love to invite you to reach out to us. Again, just that number really quick is 931-326-4512. You can email me, josh, at redeeminghope.org. If you'd like to be in a group, but really that is where the rubber hits the road. That's where you become known, loved, cared for. We read the Bible together. We encourage one another for love and good deeds, right? Like we hold each other accountable to follow the life and the teachings of Jesus in groups together. We actually bear one another's burdens. We pray for one another. Um, Every week as you show up, you're known, you're loved, you're cared for. And actually too, that's where we can find ways to serve one another and serve our community is through these groups. And so when we value the church as a family, specifically as a family, then everything that we do as a church begins to make more sense to people. So as a church, we highly value eating together. It's not just because we like to eat. I mean, eating is pretty awesome and it's pretty great. And most of you have actually shared a steak in our house, in our living room together. But when we eat together, we celebrate, we mourn, we communicate, we meet, and we have fun together. Like that's what makes us a family that's growing into a deeper expression of God's church. And what we are, is we are truly a family on mission that is now part of a larger family of faith. We're, part, we're all part of the capital C, big church. But we are a local expression of that. And we're a part of this larger family called the capital C, global, universal church. But Redeeming Hope is a local expression of that global church. So, as we think through this, some of you, again, might have had some good experiences with the church. Maybe that's where you got to know Jesus. You made lasting friendships or you've grown as a person. Many of you have had bad experiences with church, probably. Social or financial pressure, abuse, hurt, drama, fighting, politics. And again, maybe you're just damaged by a lack of authenticity. And some of you have had zero experiences with the church. And quite frankly, that's probably the easiest place to be today. So you've got no expectations and you've got no previous hurt to work through. But I want to tell you that wherever you are, as you are listening or watching to this, Jesus is inviting you into a new way of thinking about the church. Think about the church as a family. That's not perfect, it's not flawless, but we're together. Communicating, living, eating, celebrating, mourning, gathering, grieving as a family that is united by a common faith in Jesus and a common mission to help others find Jesus. You see, our, our church is not first an organization, corporation, or institution. We are first and foremost a family. When we live and operate like a family, everyone involved thrives and grows into looking more like Jesus together. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.